following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. This week, we're going to look at an event that happened immediately after that, after Jesus was baptized, uh, his temptation in the wilderness. And we'll ask some similar questions about this account. So let's... Um, Let's read the text together, and we'll pray and jump right in. Mark 1, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So that's all we got. Um, let <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we still look forward to um, looking into your word together. Um, what a wonderful task you have given us and what a wonderful resource in, in your word and in your Holy Spirit. So again, we pray that you would guide us in our, in our study this morning, uh, that we would understand better and know you more. We love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, immediately after his baptism, Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days. Hmm. 40 days, huh? I guess um, before we go any further, we need to uh, address the elephant in the room. 40 days. Jesus was sent to the wilderness for 40 days. Hmm. We know it's in the ark 40 days and 40 nights. Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days with the Lord, receiving the Ten Commandments. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Goliath taunted the armies of Israel for 40 days. And now here's Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days. Hmm. Hmm. Curious. So, there are two questions we have to ask. 40, 40, 40. Could that be coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. The better question is, 40, 40, 40. Is that important? No, it's not. Numerology is a waste of effort. It's a distraction and a waste of time. Don't try to figure out secret codes written in the Bible because of numbers. Forget it. It's not important. It's just a distraction. So we move on. Speaking of distractions, um, Jesus was sent to the wilderness. I want to show a picture, I think. Did he show it already? Oh, you ruined it. Never mind. Let's close in prayer. So this is a picture of the wilderness. There's a sign here on your right. Uh, that's the left. My right. Um, in uh, Hebrew, in English, and in Arabic, the important line is in the middle. It says, attention, there are leopards on the reserve. There are leopard. This is at the wilderness of En Gedi. There are leopards, and they allow the tourists in there. 
And there's proof of wild animals in the preserve in the picture on the other side. <laughs> That's me in 1997, hanging from a branch. Okay, get rid of that picture. It's distracting. Uh, yes. Regrettable. Okay, can you please make that go away? That's a, probably a bad idea to begin with. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, Mark, in his typical fashion, does not concern himself with the details of the temptations that Satan employed against Jesus. He just said he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. For that, uh, those details, you have to look at the parallels in Matthew and Luke. Um, but before we get any further into it, we have to ask the question, what is really going on? Why was Jesus driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and be tempted by Satan? So let's, um, let's fill in some details from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew writes, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's one of the funniest lines in Scripture. Like, really? 40? Wow. <laughs> Sorry. And a tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to them, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, this is another opportunity to expose my own ignorance and assumptions about the Word of God. Always a good time. Often, maybe more often than we care to admit, we are guilty of making Scripture nothing more than a book of fables with lessons attached to them. Like every story has a moral. The moral takeaway from this story, to me, of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness was to, <clears throat> was to combat temptation with Scripture. When you are tempted to sin, rely on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to fight off the enemy. Was that wrong? Technically, no. It's true. It's a good practice. But a better question is, is that why Jesus was driven into the wilderness for 40 days among the wild animals to, be, to fast and be tempted by Satan? Is that the purpose of this? 
I don't think so. At least I don't think it anymore. The moral of that story was fine, but that's not the whole point. So what's really going on? And much to my surprise, Mark, with his love of details, <laughs> includes a detail that Matthew and Luke both leave out, which is a big hint in my mind as to what's really going on. Do you know what does Mark include that Matthew left out? We didn't read Luke, so I won't ask you about Matthew. What is it? Wild animals. I gave you a hint with the wild animals on the screen. The wild animals. Matthew and Luke both leave out the wild animals. Now, doesn't that seem important? That's a good answer. I don't know. <laughs> Honest. Good. Why is it important? I think it's important. Why? The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Wilderness can be translated as a lonely, desolate place, sparse in population. We think desert, right? That doesn't necessarily mean desert. It just means a place where there isn't anybody else. Jesus often went away alone to a desolate place to pray. The word is the same. It's a lonely, desolate place. Nobody else around. Now, can you think of another time a man was in a sparsely populated area surrounded by wild animals and tempted by Satan? It's at the very beginning of the book, in case you're... Uh, the, 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 whole, the beginning of the whole book. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. And there's nobody else around. So, hmm, now we're getting somewhere. This is way more interesting to me than trying to make sense of a bunch of numbers. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the, ser the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. There is a very important theological principle um, about the role of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the second Adam, the last Adam. And what the first Adam lost among the beasts, the second Adam regained. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan, and they give in. Jesus was tempted by Satan, and he did not. Adam and Eve had the word of God, the very words of God. They heard God say, don't eat from that tree lest you die. They had the word of God and they ignored it. Jesus Christ had the word of God. And he upheld it. This is part of the role of Jesus the Christ. 
not just a peasant from Palestine, not just a man wandering around teaching people sleeping in the dirt. This is the Son of God. This is some of the things that he did, what he accomplished here on earth. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 to 49, said, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. John Calvin wrote that Jesus fasted not just to give an example, but to acquire greater authority. By being separated from the ordinary condition of men and came out of the wilderness, not as the man of dust, but as the man of heaven. Nobody can live for 40 days without eat and drink. You die. Jesus was stripped of all the strength the body could have and relied only on his spirit. It was miraculous that he survived fasting 40 days. So when we fast 40 days for Lent, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent or something like that, that is superstitious nonsense. You, it, you are accomplishing nothing. You're making yourself feel more spiritual, but you're not. That's, you might as well carry a rabbit's foot. It's the same. The Father did not subject Jesus to the assaults of Satan just to teach us to rely on the Bible. Jesus had to face the same temptations that Adam faced, the temptation for food, the temptation for experiencing the power of God, and the temptation to gain the perspective of God. That's what, uh, that's what Satan offered Adam and Eve. That's what Satan offered Jesus. Why? Why did Satan tempt Jesus in the wilderness? He had a purpose there too. He was not uh, sent as uh, uh, acting as God's messenger when he went after Jesus in the wilderness just to give us a nice moral lesson. Rely on the Bible when uh, Satan tempt you. When you want to sin, read your Bible. When you want to sin, quote scripture. That's all fine. That's not why Jesus was subjected to temptation by Satan. Satan was trying to do the same thing he did in the Garden of Eden. He was trying to destroy the possibility for man and God to have a relationship. Satan was directly attacking the redemption of mankind. He doesn't want us to be saved. He wants us to be destroyed. Why is that? Satan is still mad. Because God loves men. He doesn't think we deserve it. And the truth is we don't. But God loves us anyway. Satan does not want that. He didn't want it in the garden. And he won that battle. He didn't want it in the wilderness here with Jesus. But Jesus won. Satan was defeated. Mankind's relationship with God was severed in the garden. Destroyed by the fall of man, the failure of the first Adam. 
And Satan's attacks on Jesus was an attempt to do it all again, to keep mankind separate from God, to keep mankind under God's condemnation. That's where Satan wants us. And when we relegate the accounts of Scripture to fairy tales with cute morals, we make the story all about us. We make ourselves the hero of Scripture. I'll give you another example. David and Goliath. I mentioned them earlier. Goliath taunted the armies of Israel 40 days. And then David comes along, and he gets his sling and his five smooth stones, and he goes out, whacks Goliath in the head with a stone, and then cuts his head off with his own sword. Great story. Right? Where are you in this story? Here's what we try to do. We try to make ourselves David. All I need is faith in God and whatever little tools he gives me, and I can go slay my giants. Wrong. Who are you in a story? You are the armies of Israel, shaking in your armor. Who is David? It's Jesus. He is the better David. He is the one that takes the tools from God and slays the giants. He is the one to go to the wilderness, tempted 40 days. All he has is the tools of God, doesn't have his own physical strength anymore. And he fights the giant and wins. We're not David. <laughs> We're not. Jesus is. This whole book is about Jesus, not about you. It's not about me. Are we involved? Yes, absolutely. There's no redemption story if there's no one to redeem. That's us. But remember, we are the ones too weak, too scared to step up and fight. There's a whole army and one big guy. And the army, oh, he's too big for us. There's like a bazillion of you. He can't get you all. Right? It's like storming Area 51. They can't get us all. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, they can, and they did. But anyway, that's, <clears throat> that's a freebie. Mankind is not the hero in a fairy tale. We're the damsel in distress. We're helpless. We're weak. We can fight the battle ourselves. We can't do anything but whimper and cry for help. When we understand that, it elevates Jesus to a whole new place in our thinking. He does not owe us anything. He chooses to save us. Without Jesus to rescue us, we stand condemned because of our sin. That's the problem. Our sin, by our nature and by our choice, we stand condemned. Unless Jesus was to step in. Our condemnation because of sin is the bad news. And you can't have good news without bad news. That's not very popular in the preaching today. All we want is the good news. Don't tell anybody about the problem. Hey, good news. Jesus loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. That's great news. But unless we understand that we stand under God's condemnation because of our sin... There's no one that can rescue us except for Jesus. Until we understand that there is bad news, the good news really isn't that good. Because what does it say? Well, Jesus wants you to stop acting the way you're acting, stop your drinking and sleeping around and all that stuff, 
You've got to be clean up your act, be good, be nice to everybody. And I guess when you die, maybe you go to heaven. That's, that, that doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like a bummer. Until we understand that we stand under the condemnation of God without Christ's inter, intervention, we don't understand what good news really is. Jesus is the last Adam. He is the only one that can rescue us. He is the only one that got it right. That's the good news. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 12 through 19, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin Indeed, was sin a world before the law was given, the Ten Commandments? But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and a free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the good news. So the question remains, do you trust in that one man? Do you trust in Jesus Christ to make you righteous? Not just make you nice, not just make you a good person, but to make you righteous, to make you right in God's sight. That's what righteous means. Jesus is the true hero who died in our place and was raised again by the Father and is at his right hand alive forevermore. He is the hero of the story. Let's trust him. We make lousy heroes, and he is the perfect one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that your entire word works together and makes sense as one. It's not all separate. It's not all cute stories with morals for us to live better lives. It's a story of what you are willing to do to rescue us from condemnation, to rescue us from the effects of our sin. Lord, we thank you for being the hero. Riding in and is saving the day. 
Father, may we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Not just to be good, not to be socially acceptable, not just to clean up our act, but to be made righteous in your sight because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. May our trust be fully in him. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.